Section thirty one of Young Folks Treasury, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Young Folks Treasury, Volume two, edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe. Section thirty one. The Argonauts. Parts one, two, and three. Part one. HOW THE CENTAUR TRAINED THE HEROES Now I have a tale to tell of heroes who sailed away into a distant land, to win themselves renowned for ever in the adventures of the Golden Fleece. And what was the Golden Fleece? It was the fleece of the wondrous ram who bore a boy called Phrixus and a girl called Hella across the sea, and the old Greeks said that it hung nailed to a beech-tree in the war-god's wood. For when a famine came upon the land, their cruel stepmother wished to kill Phrixus and Hella, that her own children might reign. She said Phrixus and Hella must be sacrificed on an altar, to turn away the anger of the gods who sent the famine. So the poor children were brought to the altar, and the priest stood ready with his knife, when out of the clouds came the golden ram, and took them on his back, and vanished and the ram carried the two children far away, over land and sea, till at a narrow strait Hella fell off into the sea, and those narrow straits are called Hellespont, after her, and they bear that name until this day. Then the ram flew on with Phrixus to the northeast, across the sea which we call the Black Sea, and at last he stopped at Colchis, on the steep sea-coast. And Phrixus married the king's daughter there, and offered the ram in sacrifice, and then it was that the ram's fleece was nailed to a beech in the wood of the war-god. After a while Phrixus died, but his spirit had no rest, for he was buried far from his native land and the pleasant hills of Hellas. So he came in dreams to the heroes of his country, and called sadly by their beds, Come, and set my spirit free that I may go home to my fathers, and to my kinsfolk. And they asked, How shall we set your spirit free? You must sail over the sea to Colchis, and bring home the golden fleece. Then my spirit will come back with it, and I shall sleep with my fathers and have rest. He came thus, and called to them often, but when they woke they looked at each other and said, who dare sail to Colchis, or bring home the golden fleece? And in all the country none was brave enough to try, for the man and the time were not come. Now Phrixus had a cousin called Aeson, who was king in Ialcus by the sea, and a fierce and lawless stepbrother drove Aeson out of Ialcus by the sea, and took the kingdom to himself and ruled over it. When Aeson was driven out, he went sadly away out of the town, leading his little son by the hand. And he said to himself, I must hide the child in the mountains, or my stepbrother will surely kill him, because he is the heir. So he went up from the sea across the valley, through the vineyards and the olive groves, and across the river toward Pelion, the ancient mountain, whose brows are white with snow. He went up and up into the mountain, over marsh and crag, and down, till the boy was tired and footsore, and Aeson had to bear him in his arms till he came to the mouth of a lonely cave at the foot of a mighty cliff. 
above the cliff the snow wreaths hung dripping and cracking in the sun but at its foot around the cave's mouth grew all fair flowers and herbs as if in a garden there they grew gaily in the sunshine and in the spray of the torrent from above while from the cave came the sound of music and a man's voice singing to the harp then Eason put down the lad and whispered fear not but go in and whomsoever you shall find lay your hands upon his knees and say in the name of zeus the father of gods and men i am your guest from this day forth so the lad went in without trembling for he too was a hero's son but when he was within he stopped in wonder to listen to that magic song and there he saw the singer lying upon bearskins and fragrant boughs chiron the ancient centaur the wisest of all beneath the sky down to the waist he was a man but below he was a noble horse his white hair rolled down over his broad shoulders and his white beard over his broad brown chest his eyes were wise and mild and his forehead like a mountain wall in his hands he held a harp of gold and he struck it with a golden key and as he struck he sang till his eyes glittered and filled all the cave with light as he sang the boy listened wide-eyed and forgot his errand in the song at the last old chiron was silent and called the lad with a soft voice and the lad ran trembling to him and would have laid his hands upon his knees but chiron smiled and drew the lad to him and laid his hand upon his golden locks and said are you afraid of my horse's hoofs fair boy or will you be my pupil from this day i would gladly have horses hoofs like you if i could sing such songs as yours said the lad and chiron laughed and said sit here till sundown when your playfellows will come home and you shall learn like them to be a king worthy to rule over gallant men then he turned to eason who had followed his son into the cave and said go back in peace this boy shall not cross the river again until he has become a glory to you and to your house and eason wept over his son and went away but the boy did not weep so full was his fancy of that strange cave and the centaur and his song and the playfellows whom he was to see then chiron put the lyre into his hands and taught him how to play it till the sun sank low behind the cliff and a shout was heard outside then in came the sons of the heroes and great chiron leapt up joyfully and his hoofs made the cave resound as the lad shouted come out father chiron and see our game one cried i have killed two deer and another i took a wild cat among the crags and another shouted i have dragged a wild goat by its horns and another carried under each arm a bear cub and chiron praised them all each as he deserved then the lads brought in wood and split it and lighted a blazing fire others skinned the deer and quartered them and set them to roast before the flames while the venison was cooking they bathed in the snow torrent and washed away the dust and then all ate till they could eat no more for they had tasted nothing since the dawn and drank of the clear spring water for wine is not fit for growing lads when the remnants of the meal were put away they all lay down upon the skins and leaves about the fire and each took the lyre in turn and sang and played with all his heart after a while they all went out to a plot of grass at the cave's mouth 
and there they boxed and ran and wrestled and laughed till the stones fell from the cliffs. Then Chiron took his lyre, and all the lads joined hands, and as he played they danced to his measure, in and out and round and round. There they danced hand in hand, till the night fell over land and sea, while the black glen shone with the gleam of their golden hair. And the lad danced with them, delighted, and then slept a wholesome sleep upon fragrant leaves of bay and myrtle and flowers of thyme. He rose at the dawn and bathed at the torrent, and became a schoolfellow to the hero's sons, and forgot Ialcos by the sea, and his father and all his former life. But he grew strong and brave and cunning upon the pleasant downs of Pelion in the keen hungry mountain air. And he learned to wrestle, to box, and to hunt, and to play upon the harp. Next he learned to ride, for old Chiron used to mount him on his back, and he learned, too, the virtue of all herbs, and how to cure all wounds, and Chiron called him Jason the Healer, and that is his name until this day. Part Two: How Jason Lost His Sandal And ten years came and went, and Jason was grown to be a mighty man. Now it happened one day that Jason stood on the mountain, and looked north and south and east and west, and Chiron stood by him and watched him, for he knew that the time was come. When Jason looked south he saw a pleasant land, with white-walled towns and farms nestling along the shore of a landlocked bay, while the smoke rose blue among the trees, and he knew it for Ialcos by the sea. Then he sighed and asked, Is it true what the heroes tell me, that I am heir of that fair land? And what good would it be to you, Jason, if you were heir of that fair land? I would take it and keep it. A strong man has taken it and kept it long. Are you stronger than your uncle Peleus the Terrible? I can try my strength with his, said Jason. But Chiron sighed and said, You have many a danger to go through before you rule in Ialcos by the sea, many a danger and many a woe and strange troubles in strange lands, such as man never saw before. The happier I, said Jason, to see what man never saw before. Chiron sighed, and said, Will you go to Ialcos by the sea? Then promise me two things before you go. Speak harshly to no soul whom you may meet, and stand by the word which you shall speak. Jason promised. Then he leapt down the mountain to take his fortune like a man. He went down through the thickets and across the downs of thyme, till he came to the vineyard walls and the olives in the glen, and among the olives roared the river, foaming with a summer flood. And on the bank of the river sat a woman, all wrinkled, gray and old. Her head shook with old age, and her hands shook on her knees. When she saw Jason, she spoke, whining, who will carry me across the flood?" But Jason, heeding her not, went towards the waters, yet he thought twice before he leapt, so loud roared the torrent all brown from the mountain rains. The old woman whined again, "'I am weak and old, fair youth. For Hera's sake, the queen of the immortals, carry me over the torrent!' Jason was going to answer her scornfully, when Chiron's words, speak harshly to no soul whom you may meet, came to his mind. So he said, For Hera's sake, the queen of the immortals, 
I will carry you over the torrent, unless we both are drowned midway." Then the old dame leapt upon his back as nimbly as a goat. Jason staggered in, wondering, and the first step was up to his knees. The first step was up to his knees, and the second step was up to his waist. The stones rolled about his feet, and his feet slipped about the stones. So he went on, staggering and panting, while the old woman cried upon his back, "'Fool! You have wet my mantle! Do you mock at poor old souls like me?' Jason had half a mind to drop her and let her get through the torrent alone, but Chiron's words were in his mind, and he said only, "'Patience, mother! The best horse may stumble some day.' At last he staggered to the shore and set her down upon the bank. He lay himself panting a while, and then leapt up to go upon his journey. But he first cast one look at the old woman, for he thought, She should thank me once at least. And as he looked, she grew fairer than all women, and taller than all men on earth. Her garments shone like the summer sea, and her jewels like the stars of heaven, and she looked down on him with great soft eyes, with great eyes, mild and awful, which filled all the glen with light, Jason fell upon his knees, and hid his face between his hands. And she spoke, I am Hera, queen of Olympus. As thou hast done to me, so will I do to thee. Call on me in the hour of need, and try if the immortals can forget. When Jason looked up, she rose from off the earth like a pillar of tall white cloud, and floated away across the mountain peaks, towards Olympus, the holy hill. Then a great fear fell on Jason, but after a while he grew light of heart. He blessed old Chiron, and said, Surely the centaur is a prophet, and knew what would come to pass when he bade me speak harshly to no soul whom I might meet. Then he went down towards Ialcos and as he walked he found that he had lost one of his sandals in the flood. And as he went through the streets the people came out to look at him, so tall and fair he was. But some of the elders whispered together, and at last one of them stopped Jason, and called to him, Fair lad, who are you, and whence come you, and what is your errand in the town? My name, good father, is Jason, and I come from Pelion up above. My errand is to Peleus your king. Tell me, then, where his palace is." But the old man said, "'I will tell you, lest you rush upon your ruin unawares. The oracle has said that a man wearing one sandal should take the kingdom from Peleus and keep it for himself. Therefore, beware how you go up to his palace, for he is fiercest and most cunning of all kings.' Jason laughed a great laugh in his pride. "'Good news, good father, both for you and me. For that very end, to take his kingdom, I came into the town." Then he strode on toward the palace of Peleus his uncle, while all the people wondered at the stranger, and he stood in the doorway and cried, "'Come out, come out, Peleus the valiant, and fight for your kingdom like a man!' Peleus came out, wondering. "'Who are you, bold youth?' he cried. "'I am Jason, the son of Aeson, the heir of all the land.' Then Peleus lifted up his hands and eyes and wept, or seemed to weep, and blessed the gods who had brought his nephew to him, never to leave him more. For, said he, I have but three daughters, and no son to be my heir. You shall marry whichsoever of my daughters you shall choose. But come, come in and feast. 
So he drew Jason in, and spoke to him so lovingly, and feasted him so well, that Jason's anger passed. When supper was ended, his three cousins came into the hall, and Jason thought he would like well to have one of them for his wife. But soon he looked at Peleus, and when he saw that he still wept, he said, Why do you look so sad, my uncle? Then Peleus sighed heavily again and again, like a man who had to tell some dreadful story, and was afraid to begin. At last he said, For seven long years and more have I never known a quiet night, and no more will he who comes after me, till the golden fleece be brought home. Then he told Jason the story of Phrixus and of the golden fleece, and told him what was a lie, that Phrixus' spirit tormented him day and night. And his daughters came and told the same tale, and wept, and said, Oh, who will bring home the golden fleece, that the spirit of Phrixus may rest, and that we may rest also, for he never lets us sleep in peace? Jason sat a while, sad and silent for he had often heard of that golden fleece, but he looked on it as a thing hopeless and impossible for any mortal man to win. When Peleus saw him silent, he began to talk of other things. "'One thing there is,' said Peleus, "'on which I need your advice, for, though you are young, I see in you a wisdom beyond your years. There is one neighbour of mine whom I dread more than all men on earth. I am stronger than he now, and can command him but I know that if he stay among us he will work my ruin in the end. Can you give me a plan, Jason, by which I can rid myself of that man?" After a while Jason answered half laughing, Were I you, I would send him to fetch that same golden fleece, for if he once set forth after it you would never be troubled with him more. At that a little smile came across the lips of Peleus, and a flash of wicked joy into his eyes. Jason saw it, and started and he remembered the warning of the old man, and his own one sandal, and the oracle, and he saw that he was taken in a trap. But Peleus only answered gently, My son, he shall be sent forthwith. You mean me, cried Jason, starting up, because I came here with one sandal. And he lifted his fist angrily, while Peleus stood up to him like a wolf at bay. Whether of the two was the stronger and the fiercer, it would be hard to tell. But after a moment Peleus spoke gently. Why so rash, my son? I have not harmed you. You will go, and that gladly, for you have a hero's heart within you, and the love of glory. Jason knew that he was entrapped, but he cried aloud, You have well spoken, cunning uncle of mine. I love glory. I will go and fetch the golden fleece. Promise me but this in return, and keep your word as I keep mine. Treat my father lovingly while I am gone for the sake of the all-seeing Zeus, and give me up the kingdom for my own on the day that I bring back the golden fleece." Then Peleus looked at him, and almost loved him, in the midst of all his hate, and he said, I promise, and I will perform. It will be no shame to give up my kingdom to the man who wins that fleece. So they both went and lay down to sleep. But Jason could not sleep for thinking how he was to win the golden fleece. Sometimes Phrixus seemed to call him in a thin voice, faint and low, as if it came from far across the sea. Sometimes he seemed to see the eyes of Hera, and to hear her words again, Call on me in the hour of need, and see if the immortals can forget. On the morrow Jason went to Peleus, and said, Give me a lamb, that I may sacrifice to Hera. 
and as he stood by the altar Harris sent a thought into his mind, and he went back to Peleus and said, If you are indeed in earnest, give me two heralds, that they may go round to all the princes who were pupils of the centaur with me. Then together we will fit out a ship, and take what shall befall. At that Peleus praised his wisdom, and hastened to send the heralds out, for he said in his heart, Let all the princes go with Jason, and, like him, never return. So shall I be lord of the land, and the greatest king in Hellas. Part three, How they built the ship Argo So the heralds went out, and cried to all the heroes, who dare come to the adventures of the Golden Fleece? And Hera stirred the hearts of all the princes. And they came from all their valleys to the yellow sand of Iolcos, by the sea. All the city came out to meet them, and the men were never tired with looking at their heights and their beauty and the glitter of their arms. But the women sighed over them and whispered, Alas, they are all going to their death. Then the heroes felled the mountain pines and shaped them with the axe, and Argus the famed shipbuilder taught them to build a galley, the first long ship which ever sailed the seas. They named her Argo, after Argus the shipbuilder, and worked at her all day long. But Jason went away into a far-off land, till he found Orpheus the prince of minstrels, where he dwelt in his cave. And he asked him, Will you leave your mountains, Orpheus, my playfellow in old times, and sail with the heroes to bring home the golden fleece? And will you charm for us all men and all monsters with your magic harp and song? Then Orpheus sighed, Have I not had enough of toil and of weary wandering far and wide since I lived in Chiron's cave, above Ialcus by the sea? And now must I go out again to the ends of all the earth far away into the misty darkness? But a friend's demand must be obeyed. So Orpheus rose up sighing and took his harp. He led Jason to the holy oak, and he bade him cut down a bough and sacrifice to Hera, and they took the bough and came to Ialcus, and nailed it to the prow of the ship. And at last the ship was finished, and they tried to launch her down the beach, but she was too heavy for them to move her, and her keel sank deep into the sand. Then all the heroes looked at each other blushing, but Jason spoke and said, Let us ask the magic bough, perhaps it can help us in our need. And a voice came from the bow, and Jason heard the words it said, and bade Orpheus play upon the harp, while the heroes waited round, holding the pine-trunk rollers to help the Argo toward the sea. Then Orpheus took his harp and began his magic song. And the good ship Argo heard him and longed to be away and out at sea, till she stirred in every timber, and heaved from stem to stern, and leapt up from the sand upon the rollers, and plunged onward like a gallant horse till she rushed into the whispering sea. And they stored her well with food and water, and settled themselves each man to his oar, keeping time to the harp of Orpheus. Then away across the bay they rowed southward, while the people lined the cliffs. But the women wept while the men shouted at the starting of that gallant crew. End of the Argonauts Parts 1, 2, and 3 Recording by Bill Borst